Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. So we're in this series, Biblical Stewardship. And today I'm going to be talking about Whose Is It Part 2. Last week we talked about Whose Is It Part 1. And we have the, the great opportunities to train up young Christians and share the truth of Jesus with them and those all around us. And so whenever we come on a Sunday morning or go to a life group, part of the, the goal is that we get trained up, encouraged, equipped, and also get prepared to go and share the gospel with others and help make disciples and train up those around us. A couple of definitions. Stewardship, managing someone else's resources. Biblical stewardship, managing God's resources, God's way. He owns it all. And so there are three areas that I kind of defined as uh, biblical stewardship. Obedience, and we talked about that the first couple of weeks, and then also generosity, and then also management or stewardship. And so what we find through this series is uh, each week kind of builds on the, on the previous week, and they're all linked together. So I'll be talking about some things through this series that, that may touch on what we talked about in the first week or whatever, but stewardship in, in, entails all of our life. It's not just money. When we think about stewardship, many times we think about money or finances, but it's much greater than that. So this uh, series continues to build. We'll be going to Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. My first point this morning is Jesus came to restore people. He came to restore us into an authentic, honest, uh, personal relationship with him. That is the Lord's greatest desire. The word says, of all creation, we are his prized possession. That's his greatest desire, to have this personal, intimate relationship with him. And you know, if you've been coming here very long, our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And then the goal is that we become disciples who will impact the world with the love of Christ. And so whenever we gather, we're going to talk about the intimacy of Christ and this relationship, not about religion, but about our relationship with him, because that's his greatest desire. Jesus taught parables, and parables were stories that his audience could relate to and that they understood. And uh, Jesus' audience consisted of fishermen, farmers, herdsmen, uh, the blind religious leaders. There were uh, religious leaders that, that he was trying to reach and, and help them to understand the heart of God. Uh, there were common people. And he came for people that were broken and lost and hurting. It was his desire and is his desire to see people delivered and saved and healed and set free. We can look at the world around us. Maybe you look in your own family. Maybe you look in your own life and you see brokenness and woundedness. And Jesus came to bring health and healing and wholeness to us. He taught these vital truths and principles to people back then that were relevant for them 2,000 years ago and are still relevant to us today. Our relationship with Jesus changes our life. And Jesus didn't come to build religion. He came to, to see people's lives transformed and changed and live the abundant life that he came to give. So there are truths throughout the entire Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation 
Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus' encounter with Matthew or Levi. Um, he called Matthew to be one of his disciples. And Matthew or Levi was a tax collector. And tax collectors were despised by the Jews because they basically were working for the Roman government and they were extracting taxes from the Jewish people to pay to the Roman government. And so many, uh, many considered them traitors because they're like, I mean, can you imagine, uh, well, like uh, with Russia invading Ukraine and they come in and then the Ukrainians are, are taking taxes up from their local people to pay to the Russian government. It would be like that. And many times, not only were they working for the Roman government, but they were also uh, taking money on the side to, to line their own pockets with. So the Jewish people were not real um, favorable toward these people that were taking up their taxes. And so Jesus walks by Matthew's uh, tax collection booth, and he says, come and follow me. And so Matthew leaves his, his booth and follows Jesus. I want to pick up the story here in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 15. And you guys know that we're on the version, right? So you can go to the version app, hit uh, events, and look for Life Fellowship, and all the scriptures and slides will be there. Matthew 2. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guest along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. And so Levi or Matthew is saying, Hey, Jesus, why don't you come have dinner with me? Bring your disciples. And he's going to a place that would probably not be very popular by most Jewish standards. They would be going, You're going to go have dinner with that guy, that tax collector? And not only him, but there are other tax collectors there. Maybe some prostitutes. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Why would you even uh, hang around with these people? But Jesus ministered to people where they were. Because he loved people. He loves people. And one of the, I think one of the major differences from today and back when Jesus was ministering to people were that many churches embrace ungodly lifestyles today. And I think that many Christians don't confront sinful actions in backsliding Christians or lost people for two primary reasons. That they support the lifestyles that they're living, the sin that they're living in, or maybe they're living compromised lives, or maybe they're afraid to say anything. Maybe they're fearful for the, the, uh, the pushback that they may get, or it may cause conflict. And see, Jesus was willing to go into the people's homes that were not godly because he wanted to bring them the hope of Christ. He wanted to bring them his hope and love. But Jesus was never compromising. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of backslidden Christians that know the, the truth but refuse to repent. And I don't think Jesus was looking for fights but he loved people enough to go into their space and say, look, I want to give you the truth. I want to pour out my love on you. I want you to receive God and, and, and his relationship that he wants to have with you because God is wanting to do something in your life. He's wanting to fix your broken hearts and lives. 
And, and Jesus wasn't looking for fights, but Jesus loved people enough to dress their sins. And we're not looking, you know, we shouldn't be going out looking to judge people. But listen, there are people that are hurting, that are wounded. They're going down a path, and God is saying, come back to me. I think that we can abuse God's grace. I'm talking about stewardship today, so I'm kind of going off a little bunny, bunny trail here. But can we steward God's grace? God's grace is Him giving us time to get our lives straightened out, get our lives right, put down those things that we need to put away. God's grace is not for us to continue staying in the traps and in living ungodly lifestyles. And so Jesus came to set us free. Mark 2.16 but when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I think this... <laughs> This was somewhat of an affront to the Pharisees and the real religious leaders, but I think Jesus was trying to make a point because the Pharisees believed that they were more righteous than Jesus. Oh, we would never eat with a tax collector. We would never hang out with a prostitute. We're more holy and righteous than that. We're better than they are. And Jesus was always trying to bring clarity to others, to bring them into this relationship with God and bring greater understanding. And even to those that were prideful and rejected him, he was still trying to reach out to them and bring them the truth. Because many times we're blindsided. We don't, we don't see our blindsidedness. And Jesus was trying to say, look, I'm, I haven't come for those who are healthy. I've come for those that are needing uh, salvation. I've come for you, Pharisees, really, is what he's saying. So again, this morning we're talking about stewardship or management. Jesus demonstrated good stewardship and management of his time, his talents, and his treasures. Remember when, when he fed the 5,000? And there were probably 15, 10 or 15, maybe 20,000 people there because it talks about the men. There were 5,000 men, but it included women and children. And after they fed all of these people, what did they do? They picked up the leftovers. They could have said, well, you know, Jesus multiplied the food. We don't need to pick those up. We'll just have him multiply some more food. But he said, no, pick up all the food. Gather it together. Because he was a good steward of what, uh, what the Lord had done. And so whose is it? Good stewardship or management is a biblical truth that helps us to steward well what God has given us. God, uh, good stewardship is not a, a company corporate teaching or philosophy. Good stewardship is not a prosperity message. Stewardship is a godly application of God's truth to help us steward well what he's given us. So my first point again this morning is Jesus came to restore people. He came to restore us into an authentic, honest, personal relationship with him. That's the Lord's greatest desire. My second point is good stewardship or management begins with understanding who owns it. You might not be a good steward if you don't know who owns it. 
<laughs> as I was working on this message, I thought of uh, Jeff Foxworthy, and I thought, you might be a redneck if you don't know who owns it. <laughs> but you might not be a good steward if you don't know who owns all the stuff. Last week, we looked at the earth, uh, Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the cattle and the hills and the stream that, that waters the cattle and the grass that they eat. He owns it all. Verse 11. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. Verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For all the world is mine and everything in it. Do you think if God wanted a T-bone or a ribeye, he'd have to get permission from the rancher? <laughs> no, he owns it all. And we, now we may make monthly payments and we may have the deed and we may drive a vehicle and we may sit on the sofa. But as Christians, we should know that everything that we have belongs to him. Now, we have the opportunity to enjoy the Lord's blessings. Um, in fact, you know, we're praying for the 13 acres that we have um, that, that God owns, but we get to manage. He's given us this 13 acres, so we're saying, Lord, what do you want us to do with the land? It's your land, Lord. What do you want us to do with it? Because we're just simply the stewards of this property. How large of a building do you want us to build? When we bought the property, uh, we had uh, several of us went out there and we dedicated the property. We drove stakes in the ground. We marched around the entire perimeter of the property, worshiping God, claiming that property, dedicating that to him. And uh, Liz led us in worship. It was, it was a beautiful event. And so we've dedicated this property to the Lord. We've said, okay, you've given us stewardship or management of it. What do you want us to do? And, and we go out there, many of you, I think all of you know this, that we meet at the property every Wednesday from 10 to 11, unless it's inclement weather, and we pray. We're praying over the property. We're praying for our communities. We're praying for Jesus' revival. We're praying, we're praying for uh, local and regional and, and state and federal government officials. We're praying. And so we're bathing that property in prayer. We're praying for Kima Gardens. As we get to meet here, we're praying for the Rubikis, for blessings for them, for allowing us to meet here. And so join us on, on Wednesdays, or there's prayer lists over there. You can join us from wherever you are. But let me ask you a couple of questions to consider. Are you managing all that the Lord owns with excellence? Because he's given all of us the opportunity to steward some things. Are you managing the Lord's items well that are managed by other people? I remember uh, my father-in-law, well, let me say this. Do any of you have like a favorite car that you, that you can remember back when you were growing up or something? Now, if this is your first car, that is your favorite car, all right? But uh, many of us have had multiple cars, and you look back, and you're like, man, I remember that, that car that I had or that truck. That was like my favorite one. Well, 
when uh, Pastor Christina and I first got married, we went to San Antonio to uh, spend some time with my in-laws. I, I guess it was Christmas or something. And he had an El Camino. Do you guys remember what those cars were? They were kind of like a hybrid between a car and a truck. And uh, they, were, they had a bed in the back, but it wasn't like a regular truck. And, uh, and he loved that thing. I mean, you could just tell when, when he would drive it or when he would talk about his car, he, he loved that thing. And those were popular, I guess, in the 70s and 80s. Anyway, uh, we drove to San Antonio, and I get out of the car, and the whole right side, the passenger side of his El Camino, El Camino was dented up and dashed and scratched, and the side mirror was hanging off. And, and so I go in, I'm like, hey, what happened to your El Camino? And he said, well, uh, he had loaned it to what is my ex-brother-in-law, uh, because he needed a vehicle, and uh, uh, I think Joey was, he did drugs, and he drank, and I guess he got off on Friday and stopped by the liquor store or whatever, the bar or whatever. Well, when he brought the vehicle back, that whole right side was messed up. And so when my father-in-law confronted him, he said, uh, you know, what happened to my, <laughs> my El Camino? My favorite car. And he said, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a scratch. Are you kidding me? It's a scratch. You ripped the mirror off. The whole side of the vehicle is damaged. But how, how are we at, at managing not only what God has entrusted to us, but managing other people's stuff? Have you ever borrowed something, and then maybe it, it breaks, and you're like, oh, well, it's not mine anyway. Here, here's your broken, you know? I mean, what's our attitude I remember uh, I borrowed a chainsaw from a guy. I was cutting down a bunch of trees. And, uh, man, it would, after a little while, the, uh, the chain wouldn't cut. And I'm like, oh. So I'd go buy another chain and put it on there. Well, I think there was something wrong with the clutch or something, and it wasn't, it wasn't working properly. But when I took it back, I gave it, I gave it back. I returned it in better shape than what it was. And so what's our attitude about not only stewarding what God has given entrusted to us, but other people's stuff? Is your attitude, if you borrow something, to take it back better than it was, leave it cleaner or, or whatever, than what you found it? So uh, consider this, too, that maybe you rent an apartment and the dishwasher goes out or the air conditioner goes out, and you call the manager, you call the landlord, Right? You call them and say, hey, would you come and fix this? God is Lord of the land. <laughs> or so are we honoring him? Are we taking care of his things? Because, listen, not only does, are we talking about material things here, but we're talking about he comes and fixes our broken lives. We have the opportunity to reach out to people that are hurting. We have the hope and the love of Christ living in us. We have the answer to many of their problems. And so are we loving people? Are we pointing people to Christ? He restores the brokenhearted. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. We are often referred to as sheep. Sheep are not beasts of burden. We were not designed to, to carry heavy loads. And so when somebody's struggling, we can say, hey, let me help you. Let me come alongside you. Let me, let me introduce you to the Lord who can take this burden off of you. Matthew uh, 11.30 says, For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Stewardship 
shouldn't be a heavy burden if we understand that he owns it all and we do our best to take care of what he's given us. Stewardship and management of the Lord's property is nothing new. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. And this, this word for tend is to work. Imagine that uh, you were living in the, in the Garden of Eden. It'd be like paradise. And, and the Lord said, just take care of it. You don't have to plant all the plants and do all of that. You may have to pull a few weeds every once in a while. It may be prudent to, to prune some of the plants. But he said, just work, just take care of the garden. He said, to tend and watch. This word for watch means to keep or to guard over. So that was their, their job, just to tend and, and watch the garden. Adam and Eve didn't own the Garden of Eden. But they had stewardship over it to take care of it and to actively guard and watch over his garden. We are stewards over God's resources. Mom, God has trusted you with his children. They belong to him. Dad, God has trusted you with his children. They belong to him. And so the Lord expects us as parents to train and equip our children to have a personal relationship with him. And I know you know the answer to this. How do children learn? Example, example. example. So what are we exampling to them? What are they going to remember as they grow up? Oh yeah, I remember we went to church every Sunday because my parents went and they said, hey, it's important. We're dedicating the first part of the week to the Lord. And so the Lord expects us to train and equip his children. Proverbs 22.6, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And I know that's been true of me. I was brought up in a Christian home, and I drifted away in high school and college. But I knew I had a reference point on where to come back to. And people that don't, aren't brought up in the church or don't have a relationship with the Lord, what reference point do they have? Their reference point is the world? <laughs> you are a child of God too. God cares for us. Did your parents direct you onto the right path? I can say yes. And I say, thank you, Lord, for godly parents. You may be saying no. I didn't have godly parents to help me find the right path. But you can say, thank you, Lord, now. Thank you, Lord, now for helping me to find the right path. So our first point is Jesus came to restore people, us, into an authentic, honest, personal relationship with him. That's his greatest desire. My second point is good stewardship or management begins with understanding who owns it. My third point this morning is good stewardship honors God first. And so as we've discussed, we return the first of the increase to the Lord. The first portion belongs to him, the first 10% of our increase. 2,500 years before the Lord gave Moses the law, Adam and Eve must have known about returning the first of their increase to the Lord, apparently because Cain and Abel knew. Uh, consider Cain and Abel, children, children of Adam and Eve. Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best 
portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his, and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And so we've talked about the scripture before, but some people think it's because of what they brought. Well, because one brought crops and one brought a lamb or, or brought the first fruit of their lambs, it's not what they brought. It's a matter of their heart, because, uh, not because Abel brought a lamb and Cain brought some crops. It was her heart. The Lord did not accept Cain or his gift. Because Cain brought some. He didn't honor the Lord. He said, I'll just bring some, some leftovers to God. And you contrast that with Abel's heart. Abel brought the best of the firstborn from his flock. It doesn't take faith to give our leftovers. It takes faith to give our first, our best. And so there's something here when we understand that that there's a principle here that's more, that's greater, broader, wider than just bringing our gifts or returning back to the Lord, but it's about faith. If we don't have faith to return to the Lord what belongs to Him, are we going to have faith when things get tough? What happens if Russia tries to attack America and take over this country? What kind of faith do we have? And so the Lord is about us growing in our relationship with Him and trusting Him. And if we can't trust Him in the basic fundamental things, what happens if things really get tough where we really have to depend on faith? When we're really going through something that we have no control over and we say, Lord God, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here, but I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to trust you because I have this relationship and I've seen you do it. I've seen you move the mountains. I know you'll do it again. And so our faith is like a muscle as we grow in this relationship and we see how God has moved in the past when there seemed to be no way, when there was no logic or reasoning behind how He worked it all out. It builds our faith. And we say, oh yeah, I remember then. Genesis 4-6, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. So apparently Cain knew what was right. His parents must have taught him somehow they knew what, what they were to return to the Lord because Abel did it. You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And he's telling Cain, get your heart right, Cain. The next verse, we see that Cain kills his brother. Disrespect for God, disrespect for life. Cain kills his own brother. And this is one chapter after Adam and Eve disobeyed. They ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin is a, uh, opens the door for all kinds of things to happen. They, they ate the fruit. They knew that they weren't to eat it. And the next chapter, we see our first recorded murder. The world has a sin problem. And when we reject the Lord, we rapidly begin to slide down a slippery slope 
and soon things are out of control. Familiarity breeds contempt. Have we become too casual with the Lord because we have this relationship with Him? And have we become entitled? Do we trample God's grace? Oh, yeah, God is gracious, so I can continue on doing what I'm doing. Listen, this message is for every one of us here today. If you're watching online, I know it's for all of us. Because God is, is wanting us to, to get rid of some things in our life. Not to become religious, but because we have this relationship with Him. Are we trampling on God's grace? Are we taking advantage of Him? Jesus came that we would live the abundant life. Jesus came to set us free. And Jesus blesses good stewardship. When we are good stewards with what He's given us, He'll give us more. Is He going to give us more if we squander away what He does give us? And please, please, please hear me. I'm not talking about materialistic things here. There are things that are much greater than that. The anointing of God, the opportunities that He gives us to, to be a light, to lead people in, into a relationship with Him. God uses money to save souls so that we can, we can go and, and support missionaries and we can build buildings and we can hire staff and we can buy equipment and all this other stuff. But God's greatest desire is for people. And if we miss that, we've missed it. And, and when we talk about stewardship and who owns it, when we begin to understand that it's all His, it should change our perspective. Not that we say, oh, well, it's His, I don't care. I'll treat it any old way. But that we're honoring Him and we're saying, Lord, this is Yours. So am I stewarding well what You've given me? Am I stewarding well what you called me to do? Am, am I obedient? Am I generous? Am I stewarding well what you've given me? What about these relationships? What about these people that don't know you? Am I too fearful to reach out and, and tell them the truth? Do I really give a rip about their life? God has called us to make a difference. And we make a difference through this relationship that we have with Him, and He transforms our heart. He transforms our life. And we begin to be burdened for the things that He's burdened for, which is people. And if we have a burden, if we have His burden, we're going to pray. We're going to reach out hands to say, hey, I'm here for you. We're going to demonstrate the love of Christ. What did Jesus say? They'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. 